so we're, we are excited that we've now begun this journey uh, through the book of Joel. And the title of the series is called The Valley of Decision. And it's taken from uh, the third chapter, verse 14. And, and we believe that as we're walking through this, that God is leading us to these places where we have choices to make. And that's true of all of life. Uh, but this, this is saying in the valley of decision, uh, what would God have us to do? Uh, how can we find uh, the victory? And this ties in with uh, the theme for the year. Uh, how can we find the victory that he is calling us to? Uh, so Joel is a prophet and uh, he's considered one of the minor prophets, and some believe that he's like one of the first prophets. Uh, again, there's uh, commentators pick different times. It's not totally clear where or exactly what time this was written, but many believe it was around uh, 835 B.C., and it was written around a specific event that had taken place. Uh, last week, as Phil introduced this series, we talked about, uh, read through, and, and discussed this plague of locusts that had come, and there was a drought, and the conditions were absolutely horrible. And, uh, and, and what were they to do with this? Uh, so as we looked at this last week, Phil gave us some really practical things to apply to our lives. And a couple of the things that we can learn as we look through those first uh, 12 verses of Joel chapter 1 is, first of all, that, that we shouldn't overvalue what will vanish. We shouldn't overvalue what will vanish. We so often put our focus on the things that we can see and the things that we can touch, but if we can see it and we touch it, it's going to pass away. And so many times that becomes the center of our lives. And this is a call, an opportunity through this difficult t- these difficult times to reprioritize, uh, to turn our attention from what will vanish to what is eternal. The second thing that, that he shared is that God allows destruction to make us aware of our dependence. Now that can sound like a cruel thing, uh, that God would allow hard things to come into our lives so we would understand that we need him. But can I tell you that that's one of the best things that can possibly happen in life? It's for us to come to a greater and a deeper understanding of how much we need him. And if it means difficulties, if it means that God even allows or can bring on difficulties in our lives, this is a good thing if it brings us to our dependence on him. Because often what happens is that when we can depend on other things than God, we do. And when we can have a peace and a confidence in other things besides God, we often do that. And it's, it's, it's many times in the difficult situations of life where these things are, are removed from our lives that we have this window of opportunity to turn to him and grow in our dependence on him. And finally, God uses our reality to bring revelation. The things that we're going through are meant to shine light on truth. Now, the thing is, is that in order for that to happen, we need to be going to the word of God. Because what happens is if we look at situations purely as, as the way to find truth, we can misinterpret very easily. You know, and you look at creation and, you know, we were singing about the glory of God, and Scripture tells us that, um, that, that creation declares the glory of God, that you look at the beauty of nature and what God has made, and it declares the glory of God. That's a reality of creation. But yet others can look at creation and say, all this happened by chance. There is no God. So what we need to do is look at our reality through the lens of the Word of God. And the reality that in our lives, when we read the Word of God and we apply that to our lives, will bring revelation that will be transformational. And this is the opportunity that we have. So as Phil said last week, there's some stuff in those first 12 verses that are just not scriptures that you're going to put up on your wall. I mean, it's talking about the tough times, the, the devastation. Uh, again, the locust uh, just destroying everything in the drought. And the last part, this is one that, that you surely, I hope, will not put up on your wall. The end of verse 12 says this, surely the people's joy is withered away. Isn't that something we want to wake up each morning and see posted? Surely the people's joy is withered away. Uh, but we go on. 
And we're going to uh, be, uh, again, in Joel chapter 1, and we're going to be focusing on, on verses 13 through 20. I'm going to read through them. They'll be up on the screen, and you may want to turn in your devices or your scripture uh, if you have them. And, um, and it'd be good to kind of track along uh, and read with me. So beginning with verse 13, scripture says this. Put on sackcloth, you priest, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call. For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness and flames have burned up the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and, f- and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. This is the word of the Lord. First verse said that the word of the Lord came to Joel. And this is what God is speaking. Because it's his word, we can look at it uh, at first and wonder, God, what are you saying? But we ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and show us the truths that not only applied then, but that apply to us into our living today and right now. And as I studied this, what I saw was that there's a pathway. And the pathway through the scripture is to this. It's a pathway to finding God. Now, um, you may wonder, okay, how does that pathway there apply to the pathway of my life? And here's the thing, is that that process is very similar. That difficulty comes, we have a choice. There's a valley of decision. And we have a choice, and in that choice, the best choice that we can make is to turn uh, from the things that, ha- that have been against God and turn toward God. This is the best thing for an individual to do, for a family to do, for a community to do, for a nation to do, and for the world to do, is to turn to God, allow the challenges of life to help us to find God. Uh, so I want to invite you to, um, with me, just present this time to the Lord and say, God, reveal to me personally. I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer. I invite you to speak to me your word that I may find the life that you desire for me to find. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. God, we thank you that your word is alive and active. It's powerful. It pierces to the inner part of our being. And Lord, we desire today that as we look into your word, that you would help us to listen to your Holy Spirit God, I thank you that this word has application, Lord, to every single one of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, God, to hear what you are speaking. And God, we pray that you would help us to not only be hearers, but be doers of your word. God, help us, Lord, to to embrace the truth that you show us and walk in obedience to that truth. God, we confess that we can't do this on our own. Uh, God, in the natural, we cannot understand. We cannot have, have the power to follow in obedience, but by your spirit, your presence within us, your power, God, you are inviting us because this truly is possible. 
God, we thank you that in you all things are possible, and we submit this time and ourselves to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're looking at as we walk through this time in Joel is a specific set of circumstances that were for specific people at a specific time. So the circumstances we talked about, the locust at this time, it's the locust and the drought, specific circumstances for specific people. It was the people of Judah, God's chosen people who had strayed away from him. This was a directed uh, trial that they were going through. It was for a specific time. It was at that time. But yet God provides for us this pathway today that is applicable to us, to us as, as specific individuals in the specific circumstances where we are and right now today. So this pathway, again, is of finding God. It, it's, a destin, it's, it's a journey that takes us to a destination. Now, we've all gone on trips. Um, we've planned trips. And I want to take, as an example, a driving trip, not a flight where you don't plan to go somewhere, but when you have a distance to drive to a specific destination. Now, when you plan that trip, uh, you map it out. You look at the ways that you're going to go, but there's more than just the direction. It's what are the things that we need to do along the way. Uh, There are certainly fuel breaks. Uh, There are certainly times to stop and eat. There are times to to get rest if it's a long trip. And if you have kids, there are other kinds of breaks, sometimes disciplinary breaks. Sometimes it's just let them out and get get rid of the energy. And uh, And this could be We'll say not just kids, but adults. There could be other necessary breaks that happen frequently. And some of that is dependent on how much you drink and things like that. So um, we have a family member that between two different points, I think they knew every rest stop and every restroom and every, you know, uh, there's necessary stops. But those, none of those stops are the destination, right? There are things that, that happen on the way to the destination, uh, we had a trip one time to Florida and we were driving. The kids were pretty young and we we're going down 95. And at the same time, my sister and her family were coming back from Florida. They were coming north on 95. And uh, cell phones were just kind of coming in, so I th- but I think we were able to text and, and all at that time. But, you know, it's where you just had the digits, and it took a long time. Anyhow, um, we, uh, we were traveling south. They were traveling north. And we were in communication because we realized that we could intersect at a certain exit. Well, our kids were getting a little bit antsy. And we, were, we turned this into a, a kind of a, a joke, I guess. It, they didn't know it. But we said, you know, if you guys don't, like, settle down, calm down, behave a little bit better. We're going to get off of this next exit, and it may not be good, you know. So, so we really played this up. So we played it all. We, we got off the exit, and we got off the exit. They said, you know, you guys, are, you guys are in trouble. You just better hope that we see somebody that we know. That's the only thing that can spare you. Um, so when we got out of the van right there was my sister and her family and their kids, and we had a great time, and our kids were relieved. Um, <laughs> But the thing was that that was a great stop. It was, it was, it was on the way of the, of the journey. But that gas station at the exit off of 95 was not our destination. It's a place where we stopped on the way to. And that's what, as we go through this, we're looking at a pathway. We're looking at a journey. We're looking at steps. But the goal, the end goal is God. It's finding God in a deeper way. And it may be finding God for the first time or finding God as a Savior that you have never yet, uh, yet discovered him to be. It, 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 and if you're already a follower of Christ, can I tell you there's so much more of God to find? Like as much as we know him, as much as we grow in him, as much as we draw near to him, he is so vast and he is so wonderful that there is always more to find in following God. 
So when we look at difficulties, when we look at struggles, we're looking at them here on a national level, and then we're, we're talking about how they apply to us on a personal level. I want to look at different levels of difficulties and our responses to them. We can look on the global level of difficulties, and I, I was thinking of that of, of examples, and I think there's one that comes to mind that was somewhere around 2020 um, that had global impact, right? Anybody? Okay, some of you remember that. Um, but it was something that couldn't even be seen by the naked eye, and yet there's a disaster that was worldwide. And there were responses to that disaster, right? That as a world, we, need, we were dealing with something and we needed to figure out how to get through this. That's an example of a global uh, disaster. One of the others that I thought of it, the response, there weren't a lot of options as far as response, but back in Genesis, we had a flood that covered the whole world. And it took away every life except for eight you know, so there are things there that impact the world that the, the world has to figure out how to respond. And there's things on the national level. Many times uh, what we experience is, uh, has to deal with economics. You know, that impacts a nation as a whole, what's happening within our country. But then, you know, politics impact on a national level. Wars, whether they're on our soil or on others, impact a nation. And there's, there's a response that has to happen as things impact a nation. And often these things can cause division. We see that. Um, when, when there's troubles, that there are sides, there are factions, there are different perspectives and different responses. Then on a community, there are things such as natural disasters that happen within communities. You see floods and tornadoes and hurricanes. Uh, you see violence that hits a community and has tremendous impact. Um, there are many things like that that, it's, that, again, it's disasters that come and there needs to be a response as a community and then personally. You think of all the, the difficulties that face our lives. I don't, I don't need to list them per se, but, but like, you know, it's in all, any place of life that can be touched, it's touched personally, right, at different times. It can be our finances. It can be our jobs. It can be our health, uh, relationships. All these things are, are personal disasters and struggles and trials that face our lives. And we, when we need to find God, how would you have me to walk through this? What is the response that you would have me to take? What is the pathway to finding you in a deeper way through these things? And often what happens is that with suffering and with, with difficulties, with trials, those things can actually bring people together. Uh, we, we look back at 9-11, and when we were attacked on that day, there was a coming together that seemed to cross lines that normally created differences. And now there was fallout after that, and there were a lot of, lots of division in the long, long run. But the thing is, is that you realize that church attendance after 9-11 went through the roof? That as a nation, we turned to God for a time. Now, unfortunately, it was a small time. Often when, when the, the, the immediacy of a trial or a tragedy uh, passes, the immediacy passes, then sometimes even a good response can pass. We want to be careful that we don't do, allow that to happen in our own lives. But yet there can be solidarity that comes through going through difficult, difficult times. And God's call in this passage is how to best respond to each of these situations that we may face, whether global, down to personal. So the first verse we want to look at is the first verse that we read. It's verse 13. And this is the instruction. Again, the word of God came to Joel. And this is the instruction. God said this, Put on sackcloth, you priest, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. 
And what, as I studied this point, when we looked at this, I really feel the application that comes to each and every one of us through the scripture is this, that we need to feel. That we need to feel. Step into the difficulty and allow the pain of the difficulty to touch your life. I mean, that sounds, it may sound strange. It's like, Mark, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, well, let's see what scripture says, okay? Um, in, in many of your Bibles, there are headings over certain groups of scriptures. And in some Bibles, in many Bibles, uh, the heading over this is called a call to lamentation. A call to lamentation from verses 13 to 20. And lamentation sounds like an odd verse. Yes, it's in the Bible, but but to lament, what does that mean? It means to mourn, uh, to, to express suffering, to allow hurt to be expressed in and through our lives. That would be feeling, right? Allow it, allow it to feel, allow the pain to touch you. Now here it says that it's the priest that we're being called. You who minister before the altar. And the thing is, is that when, when we look at Scripture, yes, there are specific applications. This is calling the religious leaders to do this thing. And yet when we make application today, do you realize that we are all called to be priests? That as followers of Christ, we become those who minister before the Lord. So when we look at this in this call, it says to put on sackcloth, mourn, and wail. So when you're in pain, this is not something that you would right away, I don't think it's something you would do. Okay, I'm hurting already. Let's put on some sackcloth, okay? So sackcloth is like a potato sack. It's kind of like rough. It's itchy. I mean, it's not a comfortable thing. So, like, when we're hurting and we're in a difficult time, uh, instead of a, a sackcloth, I think we probably want to go for the comfy blanket, right? I mean, something that's going to ease the pain. But what the instruction of Scripture here to do is to feel the pain, is to allow your situation to really touch you. Because so many times, again, we're going for the comfort. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, last week, even um, about the drunkards, they, they, they couldn't drink. Well, there was no wine. So that, that opportunity for comfort wasn't there, right? It wasn't even an option. But so many times, again, we're, uh, we're going for the comfort. But the thing is that what's more needed than physical comfort, relief from the, from the circumstances, is a transformation of our lives. Can we let that sink in? What's more needed than a deliverance from the circumstances, from the difficulties, even from disasters, what's more needed from the, than deliverance from that is a change of our lives. That on the inside, we become transformed, we become made new. The old, the old goes away, the new comes. That's what we need most. Now, the thing is, is that when we talk about like mourning and wailing, things like that, that's pretty far into our culture. You know, that, that it's not, uh, in our culture, it's more like, okay, it's tough, Suck it up. Hold the emotions in, especially for, for guys. A lot of times it's like, you know, hey, skin your knee, brush it off, you know, bite the lip, don't let, don't let it quiver. Um, you know, but it, it's to avoid the wailing, to avoid the mourning. It's foreign to our culture. I've walked along many families that have lost, lost loved ones. I know that often when we're walking through that, when we're walking through services, the concern is, you know, and I can appreciate this. It's like, I don't know that I can share because I don't think I can hold it together. And again, I understand because there's a vulnerability. When we, when we allow emotions to come out, when we, when we break down, there's that vulnerability. It's understandable. But you know what? Our culture has really downplayed the mourning, the wailing, the lamenting. Now, that's not true in every culture. 
And I have a video that I want to show you, and um, it shows an outward mourning and wailing, okay? Now, the thing is that, that again, you're not going to understand what's being said. Uh, this, this individual is from Kenya, uh, but it's a video, and it, it shows, again, what wailing, what groaning, what mourning may look like. So, did you feel the emotion? I mean, could you sense the hurt? I couldn't even understand the words that he was saying, but yet there was this expression, this outward release of deep hurt and deep pain. Now, the thing is, you're wondering, well, why would this be on the internet? Why would a person in such pain be filmed and then we can upload it or download it and and see it? Well, the thing is, is that this is almost like a resume for him. He's a professional mourner. I mean, is that shocking? I mean, it seems so real. Like, but in other cultures, the mourning and the wailing, this even happened in Jesus' time, that there were people that were paid professional mourners to come with families who had just lost a, a loved one, a friend, and they were paid to mourn, to wail. Well, it seems disingenuous. I mean, that guy, like, I've watched this out how many times, and that's as real as it gets in my book. But yet he is doing that, and he may be tapping into hurt of his of his life, I don't know that. But what they're doing as a culture, they're saying, this is important that we express the pain, that we let that pain out, that, we, that there's releasing, and God's calling to this, to mourning, to wailing. And yet so many times we bury that down. It's like, I don't want to feel this. I don't want people to see me like this. But yet even in, in, with the professional mourners and the way they do that, part of it is to help set the atmosphere that gives permission to the family to enter in. It gives permission to the family and it helps encourage them. Now, when we look at this passage, we're seeing three kinds of mourning. We're seeing a physical mourning, like where we're coming alongside of it physically with the sackcloth. We're seeing an emotional mourning where it's that wailing, it's that crying out. But we're also seeing a repeated mourning where it's through the night. It's not even just for a moment. So what does that look like in our lives? How does that apply to us? Now, the thing is, is that in everything, there is appropriateness and there are places, there are times. And we're not, uh, again, just saying that, that, this, that this isn't the destination, okay? The goal is not that we, that we feel and we just keep feeling and we live there, but it is part of a journey that is important, that we do feel, that we experience, that we allow that pain to touch us. When we look at Scripture, we see David many times in the Psalms would cry out. He would mourn, he would wail, he would, he would weep. In fact, sometimes he, he allowed his emotions to go so far that he said some pretty nasty things, like against people, against things. And, and, you know, this wasn't, you know, God wasn't putting a stamp of approval on what was being said, but yet, yet we can see how there was health for him to release it because what, what happened is that became part of his journey, a step toward him finding God in a deeper and a fuller way. 
You know, and I love in, in the Psalms where we'll see where David, like, it seems like he's going so off track. Again, I mean, he's cursing people and he's doing, you know, uh, you know, saying all these negative things against people, but yet we see re- resolve that when he's allowed that to release and he's taking it toward God, he's bringing it to the house of God, what happens is that God brings healing. You know, so many times there's things that I can think in here and I think they're fine, but when I bring them out, it brings clarity. Anybody else have that? Like, you know, when it's, when it's cycling up here, yeah, this makes sense. This is probably the best thing. And then when I speak it, it's like, Mark, that is not the best thing at all. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes that wailing, that grieving, that mourning can help us get a better, a clearer reality. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, it says this, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the, des- the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. That there is health to mourning, there's health to being sad. Now, are we supposed to live there? No. I mean, it's a step in the journey. It's a part of the process. And just as, it, as Scripture is saying, like how mourning is healthy for us, so is laughter. It does a heart good like medicine. So there are, there's a time, there's a season. We have that in Ecclesiastes chapter three. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount said this, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are hurting, that are longing, that are lacking. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? For they will be comforted. That there's something about allowing ourselves to feel the pain that opens the door for us to also experience the healing. Now look at the reason for the mourning here. It says, the reason for it is for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. So it's not saying that the mourning is even for, the, for what's lost because of the plague and the drought. It's because the worship of God has been impacted. It's because what was brought to God is no longer available to bring to him. That's the reason that, that there's this call so if you're going through a, a difficult time, if you're, if you're in that season where there's pain, is there reason to mourn and wail, to cry out to the Lord? Yes. Let those things go out to God because this is an invitation, again, to bring this to him. There are opportunities that we're called in also, though, when we're not personally going through those times to come alongside people that are. And one of the things that I've found over and over again is that when I've gone through difficult times and I've walked that journey and I've found God in a deeper way, it gives me credentials to come alongside others who are suffering in a similar way, going through a similar things. Now, is your suffering, is your journey unique? Absolutely, yes. And there are similarities and there are things that we can share. And often it's just coming alongside of being part of things with people. In Romans 12, 15, it says this, that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And sometimes, you know, we can stay distant because, well, what do I say? Well, if we're not sure what to say, don't say. Sometimes nothing is better, but be. Be there with them. Allow them to speak. Allow them to feel with you. And it's amazing what God can do. So again, this is part of the journey. The feeling is not the destination. It's a step on the journey toward finding God in a deeper and deeper way. So the next, next verse we're going to look at, verse 14, it says this. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders 
and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord through Joel in response to the circumstances that they were going through and it's declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. What can we learn from this? Is that we are called to fast to get ourselves out of the way. Now, as I was reading, I was studying this passage. Um, something as teachers that we want to make sure that we always do is, is to make sure that we're making application to our lives as we're bringing the truth to you. We want this truth to work in us as we're inviting you to let it work in you. Uh, so as I was studying this passage, honestly, I was convicted immediately. It's calling for a fast. When did I fast most recently? And now I can say it was this week. It wasn't the whole week. I fasted a meal here and a meal there. It was, it was at different times. And the only reason I'm telling you this is, is, is that we need to be walking in, a, in response to the word of God and to the truth of God. So I'm going to unpack this. I don't want you to feel guilt. I don't want you to feel shame because, again, I, I can speak to you this week, but it's because I had the pressure of I'm going to be up here speaking about, about this. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to lead you and call you to do something that I'm not doing. And there have been seasons of my life, different seasons through my life, where fasting has been a regular routine. But honestly, I've been away from that for a time. And God convicted me and he called me back to it. Now, this is calling, again, declare a holy fast, a sacred assembly. So this is calling not just an individual, but a, a group, the Jews in Judah, together to fast. Now, there's something that's similar to, that, that has happened here, going back to 2020 again. It was something called the return. And some of you were aware of it. Some of you participated in it, in it but it actually happened on September 26th of 2020. And it was actually held on the, in the mall of Washington, D.C., and then broadcast across the nation and around the world. It was called The Return. And it was on the, the Day of Atonement, and it was, it was preceded by 10 days of focused prayer and fasting that began on the, on the Feast of Trumpets. So, so these are, are uh, again, Jewish holidays that uh, were promptings for a current response by followers of Christ. And the, the goal was this, that there would be a return to God, recognizing that we're in a bad place as a nation, as a world. And our need is to return to God. And the need is this, is that we need to pray, we need to fast, we need to repent so that revival can come. And this was, a, so this was calling a sacred assembly. And this was a coming together. Now out of that, there's, we actually, again, we had live streamed it here and there were many that participated in it here. And of course, down in DC and around the country and around the world. But that actually initiated something here that's still going on today. This was from September of 2020. And we, uh, we did spend 10 days prior focused on prayer and fasting coming together. Um, and it initiated weekly prayer meetings that are still continuing today. Wednesday night's here. I want to invite you to be part of that. It's a time of us coming together and seeking the face of God together. But the thing is, it, it's, it, it's turning from and turning to. And when you fast, it's turning from food and turning toward God. So what happened when you look at the, in, in the Old Testament, God had instructed fasting one day out of the year. and It was on the Day of Atonement. It was in Leviticus. He gives that instructions to, to the people of Israel that they were to fast on the Day of Atonement. 
Uh, then there were times, though, that leaders were called uh, to call the people together in a fast. But what happened after, uh, after the, the people of God were taken into captivity, when they returned back to their homeland, they started, of their initiative, weekly fast. Because basically what they realized is that, that we, were put, we were taken into exile because we strayed from God. We don't want to do that again. So they started weekly fast. It was, uh, again, on a routine and a regular way. And then when you come to Jesus' time, uh, religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were fasting regularly twice a week. Two days a week, the religious leaders were fasting. So it became a routine in their lives. Now what happened, unfortunately, is that the religious leaders picked two days of the week, and those days happened to be also the market day, market, the marketplace days, where the most people would come. And part of, and, and this really is, it had to do with their hearts. They wanted to fast at a time when a lot of people could see them fasting. It was an outward thing. They would twist their faces and be in pain, and they would literally put powder on their faces to look. Uh, I mean, and it was this outward expression of, I'm fasting, aren't I good? Now, I mean, that sounds judgmental. But it's, it's an accurate assessment that Jesus even gave. Because when you, when you go into Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. And in each one of those things, he's not saying if, he's not saying, you know, maybe. But no, he, he's, he's saying that these are just part of your life. You're giving to God, you're praying to God, you're fasting toward God. He said, when you do these, this is how you're supposed to do it. And Jesus, right there in, in chapter 6, verses 16, he's speaking directly to the religious leaders. He says this, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And it's about the heart with God. It's not about what other people say. See, what other people see about you is your reputation. What God sees about you is your character. It's what's inside. It's the, it's the person that you truly are. But then, so, so what, what else does Jesus say about fasting? Matthew chapter 9, actually verse 15, is probably one of the most important scriptures, I believe, in the New Testament concerning fasting. I want to actually start in Matthew 9, 14. When John's disciples came and asked him, asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? So Jesus' disciples are with the bridegroom, with Jesus. Now, how can they mourn while he's with him? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. That Jesus was saying that this is part of following Jesus, is that when, when Jesus was taken from the disciples, that there's a time then for the disciples to fast, and there was. But Jesus himself, when he began, began his public ministry, right after he was baptized, uh, he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, and he fasted for 40 days. I mean, that's, it's, it's literally a supernatural fast. That's a call of God. Uh, there were two, we have in the Old Testament, we had Moses and Elijah. Uh, both, it's re record that they did 40-day fast. And these, I believe, were absolute fast, which, again, is physically impossible. Um, but supernatural, it's by the power of God. So these were things that God called them to do. Interesting that those three, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, are the three that were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, but anyhow, then we also have David, uh, when his son was dying, the son that was the product of, of, of him committing adultery with Bathsheba, when his son was dying, he fasted for seven days. 
seeking the Lord, saying perhaps God will have, um, you know, have mercy and spare my child. The child died, but what happened was that David was transformed. He said, he said I'm okay. I, while he was here, I prayed with him. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. That there's that transformation that happened in the fasting. So fa- fasting is something that it's intentional. It's something that you decide to do. It's something that is self-denial. It's, it's, it's setting self aside. It's setting aside self-indulgences. It's setting aside self-absorption. It's setting aside our appetites. It's setting aside our comfort. That's what we're talking about with this call to fast. And this goal, again, is that it would be less of me and more of him. That I would become less, and I'm not talking... We can fast for, that, for other reasons. And there are some benefits, but that's not the goal. The goal is more of him. That, that my flesh would not be rising up, but his spirit would be rising up. That my flesh would be diminishing and his life would be rising. So fasting is part of feeling it, okay? But the goal should always be an inward transformation. Jesus, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, said, in, in Matthew 5, 6, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Am I pursuing righteous living in God? Am I pursuing a holiness that comes only from him? The promise is that you'll be filled as you do. So fasting, we're going to look at, uh, there are three types of fasting. This is, um, uh, we're talking specifically about food fasting. We're going to address another kind of fasting in a few moments. But there, with, with fasting from food, there can be a food fast where there's no food, but there's drink. Okay, there can be a partial fast. And some of you are familiar maybe with the Daniel fast that uh, has been popular in the Christian circles where it's a partial fast where it's certain types of foods uh, that, that, you, you withhold, you know, that you choose not to eat. And then the, the absolute fast is when you're fasting completely from food and from drink. So these are different types of fastings. Um, so again, I, as I, I shared with you, like what I did this week were some meals where I just did a food fast, where I didn't eat food for, for a meal, but I, I was still drinking water. Okay, there are different kinds of fasts that you can do. And, and, there are, and please understand that there, God understands that there are reasons that some people are not able to fast as far as with food and with drink, health conditions, uh, with medications and things like that. And, and this is not calling anybody to do what is not wise. Okay, and we can, we're going to address this again in just a few moments. But, but so, so it's, it's, it's important that you use wisdom in regards to this. And, and it's also important that, that I believe that you, you know, as you step into fasting, that you do it gradually. You know, I would not recommend even a three-day fast right off the bat if you feel like you're to fast. That, that you, you can begin to just withhold because the thing is that we can get so caught up in the process that we're missing the goal. We're missing the desire that I can get so focused on a fast that I'm, I'm missing the reason that I'm fasting. It's to draw closer to him, to allow him to do a deep work in my life. But again, it's important that, that, uh, that I believe that you start with shorter, shorter times than extended times. And if you're doing something really significant, I believe that you really do need to make sure that God's calling you to that. that, that is that his prompting uh, to do seven days or to do 10 days? I, have, uh, I know some people that have done like 21 days. Um, and, and what happens is that, I mean, you go through a lot of things, but it's physical, spirit, spiritual, emotional. Uh, I mean, all these things happen when you go into these fasts. But yet when God calls us to this, it's amazing what he does. I heard a story, and I, I don't remember exactly who it was or where it was, uh, but there's a person that sometimes would do extended fasts, fast, like I think 21 and maybe even 40 days. And, um, 
And people would, would kind of stay away from them when they're getting toward the end of their fast. And it wasn't because they were grouchy. It wasn't because they were getting mean. It was because God was so strong in them that it was almost scary. Like people said, like, like if, if you go to this person when they're like into this fast, you better be ready to hear from God and you better be ready that it's going to be, it's going to be clear and it's going to be for you. That literally that, that the less of us, the more of God, that's the goal in life. And fasting is a way to move toward that, that he truly becomes stronger and stronger in us. So here's one of the things that, honestly, even as I've been going through this, I've been studying, and it's like, like so many times I feel like we fast for things. We want a situation to change. And there are things that prompt us toward a fast, but ultimately it's that we would become in more and more alignment with God to be transformed, to be made new. That's really what the goal of the fast should be. That would be God himself. So, can you fast from other things other than food? Um, there are many people that have found that that is extremely profitable. And honestly, it's a growth in self-discipline. Uh, there are things that can consume our lives, become more important in our lives than we should, than they should be, and that could be a good thing to fast from. Sometimes we don't even realize it. They've just become such a part of our lives. It could be entertainment. It could be types of foods. It could be amounts of food uh, where you don't withdraw from food completely, but again, that kind of that partial fast. Uh, but it can be, oh my goodness. Yeah. That could be one of the best fasts. I'm not saying that you don't call, you don't text, or you don't live with that phone in your hand. Social media. Things like that that you can fast from where it's, again, setting aside. Will you feel the pain? Absolutely. Is that a good pain? I believe so. But it's not just from that, but it's to God. It's setting aside those things so that I become focused on God so that I can hear his voice instead of hearing what YouTube is saying to me. You know, so that I can see him more clearly than what everybody else in, is doing in their lives. You know, it's to bring this awareness, the sensitivity to God. That's the purpose of that fast, is to get myself out of the way, to deny myself so that it can be more of him. It's about finding God. Jesus declared, Matthew 4, in his fast, he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's this dependence on God. Then we have Jesus when he met the Samaritan woman and the disciples you know, came back to him and they thought, Jesus needs food, he's hungry. And he said, no, 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 no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That, that was more important to Jesus, was fulfilling the Father's call and walking in obedience to the Father than even, even eating. And it literally brought phys physical satisfaction. Job 23, 12 Job says this, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Can we say that? Can I in truth say, God, I've treasured your word more than even the food that I eat? God would desire for us to hunger after him in that way. This is a pathway to finding God more in a deeper way. It's his invitation to us. Fasting, it's a discipline, and with discipline comes freedom. So many times we think that discipline is constraining, but in fact, it's the opposite, it's freeing. When I'm getting things in the, in the proper order, in the proper place, I'm finding greater life. It's not fasting so that God will do something externally. It's not a hunger strike. So God, I'm not gonna eat until you do this. No, I'm gonna fast until I have more of you. 
I'm going to fast until it's less of me. I'm setting aside myself. I'm denying myself so that you can live more in me. Mark chapter 9. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down and in the valley there's, there's a commotion. And the disciples were not able to cast the demon out of a, out of a young boy. And in that passage is such a beautiful statement where the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And it's a prayer that I've spoken many, many times. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes, I have faith, but I need to have more. But Jesus delivered the boy. He cast out that spirit, that, that, the mute and deaf spirit. And the disciples were confused. So later, in a private conversation, the disciples said to Jesus, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast out that spirit? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer. And then in not every, but some transcripts, it says, by prayer and fasting. Now, what was he saying? Was he, in fact, they watched him and they didn't realize this. So they saw him cast that spirit out. It wasn't that Jesus came in contact with that spirit and he stopped and he prayed and he fasted and then he came back and cast the spirit out. That's not what he said at all. But what he was saying is that when I'm in prayer, when I'm fasting, when I'm getting rid of myself and drawing into the Father, I know what dad wants to do. I have the power of the Holy Spirit resident within me. And this is a position that we're called to live in life and being in communication and connection with God so that what we do is what the, we, we see the Father doing. What we say is what we hear the Father speaking. And that is, again, what God is calling us to in this, in this fast. So when we fast, could there be a national fast? Oh, Lord, may we be called as a body of Christ in America to fast together. Can we do it as a community, as a church, as a region? Can we do it as a house church? Can we do it as, a, as friends? Can we do it as families? I believe yes. These are opportunities. In youth ministry many years ago, we would do annually something called a 30-hour famine where we took teenagers on a 30-hour fast. And it wasn't just sitting away from food. They were serving. They were doing all kinds of things uh, through that. But do you know what it was? It was to help them connect with people that don't have food. That fasting, it was toward God because they were coming alongside the hungry. They were doing it to raise money for people who didn't have food. And they were experiencing that pain so that they could understand better and that they could walk better. And most of them knew that we had done it when, when they were done the fast. We didn't do it well. We didn't do the fruits and the juices and all that. We did pizza. We did all kinds of stuff. At the end of 30 hours, there's a feast and a celebration. One year, we really got them. We, we gave them rice. I think it might have been followed with pizza. But... Um, but you know we can touch into these things but yet some people these hardships are th things that they're living in and we are called to come alongside of them if I'm not going through difficulty I can guarantee you I know others that are and I can come alongside and I can be fasting I can be praying I can deny myself for their benefit to help hold them up when they can't hold themselves up and this is how God is desiring for us to work as the body of Christ and when you've gone through hard times, it gives you an understanding when others go through similar things. And allow God to use you to help them. Uh, counselors are wonderful for this. And the body of Christ, members of the body of Christ, are wonderful for this. So finally, and this is going to be a short point, because we want to uh, come to communion, bring, allow this to bring us to communion. And this, this two two portions of Scripture here, we're looking at verse 15. It says this, Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. 
It will come like destruction from the Almighty. And then in verse 19, to you, Lord, I call. And as we look at this, I want us to see that we find him. And to find him means to yield to the, yield the day to the Lord. Now, what we're looking at in this passage is, again, it's saying, it's calling out that the day of the Lord is near. Now, many people believe, again, the day of the Lord, is, it's used 26 times in Scripture, five times are in Joel. Once in chapter one, three times in chapter two, and once in chapter three. And chapter three is where we have the series title, uh, the, the Valley of Decision. But the day of the Lord is, is a specific day that's referenced throughout Scripture. And we would think that, in fact, one commentator says in Joel, you can look at it three parts of the immediate day of the Lord, the current tragedy, the eminent, the coming day of the Lord, and then the ultimate day of the Lord, the final day of the Lord. Um, but some commentators also say, but this is saying that the day of the Lord is near. Here's the thing is, is that the reality is, is that we don't, God is sovereign over all. We sang it this morning. We believe it, that God reigns over all. But most days, we look at it, we would say it doesn't look like it. That when we look at the outward circumstances, where is God's reign? How is he over all? How can we say that today is the day of the Lord? Now we say in a week, this is the Lord's day. We'll come to the house of, of the Lord together, okay? So that's the designation of, of the Lord's day in a week. But this is saying the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is something that's significant because it's a time of a pouring out of wrath, and of judgment. So in such a way that people know this is God. Now, if you, can, if you want to look at it this way, is that the way things can appear is that most days are man's day. Doesn't it look like it? Turn on the news, you look around the society, actually you look within our own homes. Doesn't it often look like this is ours. This is the day that we have made. We will rejoice and do what we want. Okay? So many days, it can seem like man's day, where man just has, it's a heyday. But there are days that are specific, and as we said, it's not, as Ben taught a couple weeks ago, that the day isn't a 24-hour period, but a season. And the day of the Lord is such a, such a showing up that there's no question that God is God, and he's showing that he's God. He's bringing judgment, he's bringing wrath for a purpose to, to cleanse, to make whole, to draw to himself. And this is the day of the Lord, and this is what is spoken, spoken of. And God did it. He brought locusts. He brought, you know, maybe you guys didn't draw this connection. I've been thinking about it, obviously, in preparation for today. But, like, we had some smoke in the area, okay, from Canada fires. And, and that impacted our area. It impacted many regions. There was nothing that we could do about that. I mean, we couldn't remove it. There was, it was beyond us. That was just a small taste. Like, like, just, again, if you think about that, that it, it invaded our land, in a sense. But that was a small inconvenience. Can you imagine locusts destroying everything in a drought where there's no water? What do we do? We turn to God, is what the call is, is that we feel the pain, we set ourselves aside, and we find him. And that's God's desire in the day of the Lord for us to cry out to him, in verse 19, to you, Lord, this is the response of the prophet, to you, Lord, I call. And we're going to be calling on the Lord right now, personally, I hope individually and corporately. So we know that we need God more than we need anything else. More than we need pleasures, more than we need basic provisions. We need God more than anything else. Do we believe that? God is calling us to embrace that reality, to walk in that truth more and more and more and more.
And often it takes losing some other things that we depend on in order for us to find him who we ultimately need. That's God's love. So many times we can look at hardship and we think like, how could a loving God do that? Loving God often allows that to happen and sometimes God's hand is actively involved in it. Why? It's because he wants us to understand that we need him more than anything else. And when we've depended on people or things or activities or things, things like that, they're getting in the way of what's most important and it's God. He's calling us, he's drawing us to himself. So this process that we've looked at is simply this, is to feel. Step into the difficulty. Don't avoid it. Allow yourself to feel it deeply. Then fast. Get yourself out of the way. Deny yourself. Realize that you need him more, but in order to get more of him, you need less of you. And finally, find him. Yield your day to the Lord. Yield your day to the Lord. To make each day his, to seek him and to find him. And Mike, I so appreciated what God led Mike on Wednesday night to bring the scripture back to our attention as we prayed in here uh, together. And it's from Second Chronicles chapter 7. It was after the dedication of the temple. God spoke to Solomon specifically and listened to what was said. God said to Solomon, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. That is God's invitation to us. We are in a place, do we see the locust, do we see the drought? Figuratively, yes. There's devastation in our nation, in our culture all around us. There's a drought, there's a dryness. If we allow ourselves to see it, we, will, we, we need to feel it and then, then, then turn to God and find him. We're now going to go to communion and uh, there are elements out on the table, uh, the cups, and, and if you did not uh, pick one up on the way in, if you please hold your hand up, ushers will make sure that you get them. So again, if you don't have this, we want to receive communion together. Uh, so please just keep your hand raised until an usher brings you, um, brings you that cup. And what we're going to do is we're receiving of the Lord's table together, and we're, uh, we believe in open communion, that is that all who know Christ, who are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, are, inv- are invited to participate in this. It's not about church membership. It's about uh, being part of the family of God. This is a family meal that we're coming to together. But what we're doing, we're looking at what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, you know, this whole process, I know this can be heavy. It's like, Mark, you're talking so much about suffering and about pain and how God wants to use that to help find him. Well, guess what? This This is what we're looking at as we receive communion together. God didn't just tell us that suffering leads to God. He showed us. God didn't say that you going through difficulties is what leads you to know God better. He said, no, I'm going to choose to go through suffering and difficulties so that you can know my Father. And when we look at this, we're looking at, 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 at Jesus taking on the weight of the world literally, not just of a time, but, but the weight of the world, the sin of all mankind. And God, and God himself said, here's how I'm going to lead you to me. Here's the path. It's suffering. It's the day of the Lord being poured out on his own son. And Jesus saying, I'll take it all. 
pour your wrath out. Let me take that punishment of sin that these people deserve. And that's what he did. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him we can become the righteousness of God. That when he died on that cross, it was for every sin that you ever have or will commit. And he said, the punishment of sin is death. Let it be mine. And he took that. Why? Because it was the path to Christ. It was through Christ to the Father. Jesus said, as, as you accept what I have provided, you're going to find my Father. You have access into my Father's presence. The veil is torn. We are given access. So what we are doing as we are receiving is this. Is that we're looking to Christ and we're saying thank you. Thank you that you took the ultimate pain, the ultimate suffering, the ultimate death in my place so that I can have life and life eternal. I acknowledge it's not just about a wafer, it's not about juice, it's about the body and the blood of Jesus. I acknowledge that Jesus, I need you in me. I need your life in me or I don't have life. And if you have not yet surrendered your life to God right now in your heart, I wanna encourage you to turn to him to acknowledge that Jesus, your provision is the only way I have life. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are God, Christ, that you have risen from the dead. You are Lord and you have life. So what we're going to do is take these elements. We're going to take the, the wafer first, if you would take that out of the container. And this is representative of the, of the body of Christ. He took when that, in that last supper he took the bread, it says that when he had given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we take of, of the wafer, we're receiving again what Christ said, his body which is given for us. Thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your suffering, for giving yourself. We have life, and we have life eternal. And the scripture says that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said this, that this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Can we take of the cup together? Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that it was your blood, Jesus, your blood that was poured out on the cross for us. That you gave of your very life's blood that we can have life and have life eternal. God, we recognize that we're incapable of saving ourselves, but through Christ and this gift of salvation, Lord, we are yours. We have confidence not just of eternity with you, but of life with you now, of knowing you, walking with you, serving you. Jesus, or the command that, or the instruction that came with is that as long as we do this, as long as we receive of this cup, of this bread together, we are declaring, we are proclaiming the Lord's death till we come. So Lord, we proclaim your death and we thank you for it. We thank you that you are alive, not just in heaven, but you are alive in us, you are alive among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Worship team is gonna come out and we're gonna close with one song, but before they do, I wanna just share with you Scripture that really struck me that I think ties these two together. Um, 
concerning the suffering and concerning what we have just done in remembering the death of Jesus for us. And is this, in Hebrews chapter 5, what we are told is what Jesus did here on this, on this earth. It said that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions. This is the crying out. It's this, this going before the Father. He offered up prayers and petitions, petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus took that suffering. He cried out with fervent prayers to the one who could spare him from death. Did God spare him from death? Yes. Did he have to go through death? Yes. He wasn't spared from experiencing it. And we, can, we go through hard times. It doesn't mean that God's abandoned us. It means that God is taking us through it, that God's leading us toward him, that God is allowing us to journey through these hard times in order to find him more fully. And what happened is that Jesus, again, through this, became our high priest that right now hears us when we call out to him. Right now is the one who is interceding for us before the Father. And it's to him that we desire to give praise and glory and honor. So we're going to close with that song that, that we had sung earlier. And, and it's, uh, it's, God, just be glorified more in me. So I want to invite you, if you'd like to, to stand, if you'd like to come forward, uh, what you would, how you would desire to respond to God as we make this declaration of Christ, you be glorified in me.